0: You're never as alone as you think you are. And yes, he was in there the entire worship time. (laughs) Just when you think it's just a prop, we'll use it later, you realize it's alive. It's a part of us, which is the point, which is the point. We want to talk tonight about Jesus' prayer about the Lord's Prayer. Now, most people connect the Lord's Prayer with the prayer that he gave the disciples, the model prayer, the Our Father. When you pray, pray like this, Our Father who art in heaven. But the Lord's Prayer is John chapter 17. If you'll turn with me to that chapter. It's important to understand that Jesus prayed to the Father for something and that he was overheard. And we're going to take a portion of that prayer tonight so that we can understand his vision, what he wanted, and we can understand the nature of the church and we can decide to go after that vision for our church instead of our vision for our church. You see... Our vision for the church tends to be rather self-centered and rather parochial. But Jesus, being who he was, had several qualifications when he saw the church in the future, had several qualifications. Read with me, beginning with verse 18. He prays to the Father, and he says this, As thou didst send me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Now, he's talking about the apostles. He's talking about the 12 guys he has with him, who, by the way, are not all that great. I mean, I mean, you read, you, read, you read the Gospel of Mark, and these guys just, I mean, they keep coming back, going, why can't we do that? And Jesus goes, oh, man, how long am I to be with you guys? It was just, you know, they were just men. And, 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 so, and so he says, just as you have sent me into the world, so I send them into the world. Only he didn't have quite the material that the Father did, you understand. But I want you to see the pattern. The pattern of Christ, the pattern of God, is always to extend into that which does not yet have what you have. And it's to extend according to your own kind. Now, this pattern was started the first thing in the Bible, at creation, God created the plants to multiply according to the seed, according to their own kind. That's the pattern, to extend. And then we read uh, about the different kinds of, of, of uh, uh, reproduction, maybe in, in uh, John chapter 3, where Jesus is telling Nicodemus, you know, flesh produces flesh, spirit produces spirit. But the basic character of God, the nature of God, is in John chapter 1, where it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then you skip down to 14, and it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And Jesus is saying, Just as you have sent me into the world, so I send them into the world. It's very important to realize very early, Jesus' dream for the church is never to pitch a tent and enjoy a spot. It is always to extend. It is always to realize the family that we have out there and to get a sense of closeness to them. Becky and I uh, ate lunch uh, um, Thursday, I think it was, with, with a few other folks and, and a, a, a gal that I met two years ago at, at a conference in Cyprus. Uh, this is a most interesting um, she, she can't speak English very well, so she was speaking through a French interpreter. Her name is Farida. The interpreter's name was Eveline. Both of them Christians working with the same mission. Farida has an interesting um, uh, background. She, she, her family is from North Africa. Uh, they were all, all uh, strict uh, uh, Islamic uh, folks. Uh, moved to France and through uh, I mean uh, just a series of, of uh, godadents. Uh, there are no accidents, but godadents. She came to Christ. Well, the cost of coming to Christ is automatic. You lose your family; they kick you out, and uh, and so. um, But she got a heart for all of the North North Africans. I mean, all of those northern countries, people are coming to Christ. I mean, in unbelievable numbers. Uh, even though missionaries aren't allowed to evangelize there i mean they're just here's just coming to christ and 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 since it's a, against the law to convert from islam to christianity all these people are being kicked out of their houses and and have no fellowship and so on and so forth so so this is is talking about uh, about their ministry, and, and they, have a, they have a connection with several Christians over there that Northland has a partnership with. And it was just, I just want, there's no, there's, this is just a, a, an image for you to, 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 to understand. We were sitting in there, and it, everybody sitting there was like, there's no difference here. We're, we're family. There is, we're, we're like blood. We're like, uh, uh, there, could, there could be no more unified hearts than we have. We're going to live toge- together forever. We're in this thing together. Um, we have the same relationships. God is building us up. There was the sense of extension because there was the sense of the Holy Spirit in the room. Wherever there's Holy Spirit, there's a connection to the work of God, and it's a, it's a work of relationship. And so Jesus says, just as you have sent me, I'm sending them. It's, it's, the, na- it's the nature of God. And, and, and then there's one of the most curious verses in all the Bible. It says in verse 19, And for their sakes, now this is why, partly why we're sent, and partly why the apostles were sent. For their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. Now, what does this mean? I mean, sanctification, you know, is the process of holiness, the process of of being like God. Jesus didn't have to be sanctified. Jesus was God. Jesus could not have meant, I am sanctified in the same sense we're sanctified. We go from unholy to holy or from impure to pure. Because he was already there. But in some sense, Jesus must have said that somehow this extension with these crooked tools somehow completes or perfects my nature. We don't know how that is, but somehow it does. It's a great mystery. Why Why do any of us extend ourselves to anybody at all? It's a lot of work. It's a lot of pain. Yesterday, I, I went to probably the worst car wash in the history of the world. At my, Saturdays, I, I usually come in real early um, at oh, dark 30 and work on my sermon for a long, long time. And then about the middle of the day, I go home and work out. And on the way home, I usually just stop into a car wash just because I want to support. You know, everybody has their car washes on Saturdays. And, and, and sometimes it's teen challenge, and I'll stop there, and sometimes it's you know some high, local high school with their athletic kids or whatever, and stop in there, because you just want to support the people. And, and so, so I'm driving down this road, and, this, and, and usually, half the kids in the car wash are standing out with signs, because that's where you get the bathing suit and the tan, you know, and you don't have to get dirty or anything. And, but, so, but there's this one little scrawny kid, standing out in the road, car wash, free. You know, and So I thought, well, this this looks like a cause that needs support. So I pull my car in this this thing. And and it reminds me, it was a a church youth group. It it, it brought back to me every bad memory of church youth groups I've ever had (laughs) in my life. Here's this one beleaguered sponsor with the hose. (laughs) And I I wondered when I drove in, why does this guy have the hose? Well, I knew after a while uh, why he had it. Uh, because I think they had it for a time, and everybody was soaking wet. So he finally took the hose, you know. His job was to squirt. And so, you know, they, motion, you know, I, they motioned me in there, and I get out, and so you know, they hand me this paper. This is our church youth group, and this is what we have to sell. And and I said, well, can I just make a donation? Yeah, you can make a don- yeah. So I, you know, make the donation. And so the guy goes over and starts to squirt off the car. And these kids, every one of them except one, are totally hyperactive. I mean, they're just... <laughs> They're all over the place. I'm, I'm starting to, I'm, you know, and they're all like junior high age. And, and, and at first you, you, you drive in and you think, well, it's nice that a dozen kids would show up for a car wash. But then after you're there for two seconds, you know what happened at their homes that morning. You are going to the car wash. It's, it's for God for crying out loud. Just go do something. You know. The parents were just like, kid. So, Sonny, anyway, I'm, I'm, you know, he starts squirting off the car. He says, come on, kids, help me wash the car. There's always one compliant child in a group of a dozen. So this one, this one compliant child just just, just starts, what, and all the rest of them break out in a soap fight. Now I'm I'm standing there, got my black shirt on, it's like my priest shirt, you know, got my black, and the soap's just flying. And the sponges are going, I'm backing up, I'm almost in traffic for crying out loud. And you can see every bad memory of any youth sponsor. Now, kids, stop it. No, stop it. You know, it's like any church leader who never feels like they have the authority to make the kids actually mind. You know, you just wish once a church leader would punch somebody's lights out. You know, <laughs> just once. But, but no, I don't, no, Jesus wouldn't want you to do that. You know, and they're all, you know, they're all over the place. Well, I drive out of there and I'm thinking to myself. What in the world would possess that guy to spend his Saturday morning like that? I'm thinking, does he feel guilty for what he's done in the past? Is this penance? What is this? But somehow, you know, this is the great mystery. Somehow, I really believe, and those of you who have worked with youth must agree here, somehow, you feel like... As unpleasant as it is, somehow your life is perfected in that. Somehow by giving them something, by spending time with them somehow, that somehow you are sanctified. Not that sanctification never happens by human merit, but but there's something in that. There's a connection in that. Jesus said, why would Jesus work with us? I mean, look at us, we're just hyperactive soap fighters usually i mean look at us why would he bother well he says because of them i sanctify myself many of you parents know this feeling you 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 were you you lived ragtag till you had your kids didn't you and then you said man my, i got a kid looking at me here i got to sanctify myself i, I cuz i i want for them the best life and therefore i'm going to clean up my act you may not even have gone to church till you had kids. You started having kids, you started coming to church. Because you knew it was hypocrisy to drop them off. And so you started coming, see? And, and, and so you know the feeling. It's just it boggles my mind that Jesus could even make this statement. Because ultimately what he wants is their sanctification. Now, this is another thing. Not only does he extend himself so that all can be sanctified, But then he says this, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. Now, something got accomplished. Something got accomplished in the mind of Christ that was already done even though it wasn't yet in progress. It was already done even though it wasn't yet in progress. Andrew Lincoln has a wonderful book out called Paradise, Now and Not Yet. And in that book, he, he talks about the, Paul's eschatology. And he talks about the, the Greek uh, mood, the, 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 the verb moods of indicative and imperative. About how even though something is established in Christ... Many times, it takes our movement to make it come to manifestation. He has a phrase in that book. I love this phrase. Become what you are. Become what you are. That is to say, Christ has already accomplished some things. But yet, in in a real way, they're still in progress. My, My son Isaac preaches... Uh, flies up to a new uh, he, uh, <laughs> a church in New Hampshire every weekend and 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 uh, last weekend he was preaching up there and and uh, and uh, he he preaches the sermon and gets it ready for preaching it here wednesdays and so he's just kind of talking along and he, and he, and he says you know we're all uh, i don't know whether you use the term boogerheads, I always use the term boogerheads, but he he used the term you know pinheads or something like that and he, and he said basically we're we're all sinners and we're in process." we got a letter, you know. This is good for a young preacher to get letters. That's good training. we got a letter. Don't call us sinners. Bible says we're saints. Well, there's that tension. There's that tension. The Bible does say we're saints. But take a look around. You see, <laughs> there's, there's a difference between an imputed status and an imparted status. There's a difference between who we are in Christ and who we need to become in the power of Christ. And so there's this curious phrase in here that says, in essence, who believe in me through their word when it really had not even happened yet. I mean, Jesus does this repeatedly in the, in the New Testament. For example, in uh, John uh, 10, 16, he says, I have, I have many other sheep that are not of this fold, and I must bring them in. And, and the verb is, is like it's already accomplished. But how can it all already be accomplished when Christ has not yet died, He's not yet been resurrected, and the church has not yet been established? How can that be? Because when Christ saw a vision as being accomplished, He saw the process and he knew the process would take place. And that's when he said that for, uh, uh, I do not ask on, my, uh, uh, on behalf of these alone, but also for those who believe in me through their word. Now, I want you to catch this. The vision of Christ, when it came to a complete future, was never in terms of what it would be like. But who it would include? You see, that's the difference between his vision and our vision. So many times, when we look at our uh, look at the future, here's we you know we get we are like the tent guy, and we just want to we just want a time when nobody bugs us anymore, and we don't have to mess with people. I mess with people all the time. I just want a time where I don't want to have to mess with people, and I want a time. When I'm financially free. And I want a time when I don't have hassles. And I want a time when I when it's just nice, you know? When it's just me and Jesus. Problem is, Jesus didn't dream like that. Jesus always dreamed in terms of not what it would be like, but who it would include and who's not yet included. That was the vision of Christ. That was the vision of Christ. And so he says, in essence, you know the church is more than just pitching a tent. It's got to be more than just pitching a tent. The church has to be more than than coming in and, and getting your needs met. Now the church is that. It's okay that people come into the church as a refuge. It's okay that many of you come in with your invisible tent every weekend. Say, Jesus, let me just, I'm, I'm, in the, I'm in the tent. Don't want to really talk to people around me. Just want, come on, just you and me. Because I got beat up out there. Don't like, it's getting meaner. I mean, the whole thing is turned into like a toilet out there. I just, want, I just want something clean. I want something pure. I want something good. And that's okay. Church ought to be that for you. But you can't stay in the tent you can't stay in the spot because that was never the place that that Jesus meant the church to stay it was never supposed to be a place to hide. I read a book uh, last week Walter Wangren uh, is uh, is a preacher writer he wrote uh, he wrote a book uh, with the the uh, The title, Ragman, he was the one who wrote the the sketch from a couple of weeks ago. And Wangren remembers when his kids were growing up and the rough times going through parenthood. All of you can identify with this, I suspect, from one end or the other. <clears throat> and he and he remembers when one of his boys ran away some one day. Do you, did you ever have the urge to run away? Anybody ever have the urge to? Anybody threatened to run away? I used to, I used to. My mom and I had this conflict habituated relationship. It was our way of being close to one another. Uh, did you ever? Did you know? You do know, don't you? That sometimes the 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 most intimacy you get is in a fight. That's why people fight so much. Is because that's the time when they have the other person's full attention. And so there are things called conflict habituated relationships where people fight all the time because that's how they get intimate with each other. And, and so my, my mom and I had one of those. I mean, we were just always going at it. You know, and one day as a little kid, I said, that's it, I'm running away. Now, mothers are supposed to, at that point, fall down on their knees and beg the kid to stay, aren't they? Isn't that what mothers are supposed to? No, please, I've gone too far. I've ruined your life. You're, you're psychologically scarred. I'm sorry. Please come back. Aren't they supposed to do that? That's what I thought they were supposed to do. My mother said, let me help you pack. I mean, that's what she... I said, well, this isn't working, I thought to myself. Plus, well, she took me in and helped me pack. And, and so I'm out on my front porch, you know? It's getting dark. I'm looking, I'm looking up on the street going, man, this is not working. And I must have stood out there for two hours before I went back in. Didn't want her to think I was easy, you know? <laughs> so, so, anyhow, we've been through this. We've all been through this. So Wengren says, Wengren says his, his uh, he had really landed on this one kid. This one, Matthew was his son. He said, oh, man, this kid was just just really testing me. And as a preacher, you have these you know, you 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 work with words. You live with words. You know timing, and so sometimes you can land and cut to the bone. And and so he just let he she he just unleashed on his kids about three days in a row. And one day he got back home from work and he got a phone call and and it was the scoutmaster of Matthew's scoutmaster said, "Where's Matthew?" And uh, and uh, Wangren says, "Well, he's supposed to be there. He's supposed to come after school." Scoutmaster says, "He's not here." And so. Wangren says, Joseph, Joseph was his brother, said, Joseph, do you know where Matthew is? Joseph says, yes, no. You know, you have one of those? he said, Joseph, where's Matthew? Joseph said, he ran away. And his dad said, why? Joseph said, because he didn't think he was worth anything to you. Well, you know how that makes a dad feel. So Wangren slams down the phone and just runs out the door thinking, where am I going to find this kid? And he remembers in his running that this kid has a favorite park, and so he runs to this park, and sure enough, here's this little boy with his stuff, and he's walking towards home. And Wangren doesn't want to scare him off or get into another argument or whatever, and so he just kind of goes up and starts walking beside him. He said, Matthew, are you coming home? And Matthew said, yeah. He said, oh, good, I'm glad. Why? And Matthew stopped, and he said, "'Cause there was this guy over there who kept looking at me, and I was afraid he was going to kidnap me, so I'm going to go home.'" And they walked about three more steps, and Wangren says, "'In my heart I said to myself, "'Oh, Matthew, have I built you a house "'that is only the lesser of your fears.'" What if God were to say that to us? For those of us that come to church to be assuaged of our fears, for those of us that come to church because it's so rough out there and it's a little safer in here, what if God were to say to us, oh, my people, have I, have I built you a house that's only the lesser of your fears? That's not what God wants. That's, that's, you know that's not what God wants. God wants us to be out there. God made us for victory. He said the gates of hell will not prevail against us. And so there's this sense in which not only does God want us to extend because that's his nature, but he wants us to extend in order. Look at verse 21. That they all might be one, even as thou, Father, art in me and I in them, that they also may be in us, that the world may believe that thou didst send me. And the glory which thou hast given me, I have given to them that they might be one just as we are one. What's another reason that we cannot be satisfied until we find potential family and worship with them? Because that's the image of God. You see, the amago dei, the, the image of God is not just given to individuals, I don't believe. I believe it's given to the church. And I believe that because we worship the only God that is both singular and plural at once, then a church like Northland will never really be complete until we are worshiping at more places than Dog Track Road so that we can resemble the God who is both singular and plural at once. When you stop to think of it, why did God give us all of these denominations? I mean, think, of I've had, I can remember early in, in, in my pastor, there was a, we were growing very fast and there was a group from a certain denomination that came here and said, tell me about all the people you have in that church. And so I listed, and they said, well, where do you stand theologically on this? I said, well, there's all, there's all kinds of people worshiping together that stands at various places. Well, where do you stand on this? I said, well, same thing. You know, it's not essential to salvation. So, so there's a lot of people. I mean, there's people speaking tongues, worshiping beside Reformed people that worship. And they looked at me at the end of that interview and said, this will never last. You can't do a church like that. I shrugged my shoulder. I said, well, you know, that's what God's bringing. Now think for a minute about the implications of that. If we multiply according to our own kind, which it says we do in Genesis, then it makes sense that Baptists have baby Baptist churches, doesn't it? And and, and like Presbyterians have Presbyterian churches and, and, you know, Methodists have Methodist churches and and so on and so forth. What would we have? (laughs) I mean, when you get right down to it. When when we raise our hands and we're from all the different backgrounds, I'll tell you what we'd have. We'd have connections with everybody. We'd have have family with everybody. Only we wouldn't have it on the basis of our differences. That's not even why we gather together. We would have it on the basis of the only thing we have in common. and, And please don't downplay the importance of our differences. I love the fact that we have variety in this church. I think that is such a gift. I love the fact that people have different opinions than I do and, and think differently than I do on the non-essentials. I mean, that is so cool. And I can't... I, I, you, well, well, let me show you something. Uh, let's just do this. Let's do this. If we gather together on the basis of our differences, if we prioritize our differences, then, and if we insist on our differences, then what happens... Is, is God gives us confusion. He, and, and that's what we take into the world. That's what we look for in the world. We look for somebody who has our differences in the world. And, it, and it's just confusion. Let, let me do this. Okay, all of you were probably uh, went to a church when you were younger or went to a synagogue. Uh, um, and so I want you to think of, of the name of the church or the synagogue that you went to when you were younger. All right? Think of the name. All right, now I'm going to count to three, and I want you to say out loud the name of that church or that synagogue that you went to when you were younger. All right, ready? One, two, three. Okay, did you all understand what everybody's saying? Oh, okay, let's do it a little bit louder. Just just do it a little bit louder. One, two, three. Hmm, did you get that? Everybody, get the, what your neighbors. Uh, just really loud. to one, one more time. Just really loud, so you can. Okay, one, two, three. I now let me ask you a question. Did you hear anybody around you but the name you were shouting? No, no. Now let me do this. On the count of three. Let's all say Jesus together. One, two, three. Jesus. Oh, we can understand that, can't we? Yeah. And that's exactly the nature of the church. If we emphasize our differences, chaos, and confusion, if we understand that only in Christ do we have unity, then all of the rest of it becomes a chorus of richness. And that's what Christ is saying that they might all be one. Not that one might be one, not that they might all be alike. But they, they might all be one, even as you and I are one. We are different, yet we are the same in essence. Now just, just read with me just a little bit farther here. And it says, And I and them, and thou and me, verse 23, that they might be perfected in unity, or into a unit, that the world may know that thou didst send me and didst love them even as thou dost love me. Now, this is very important. What do you think it takes for a person who, to whom we are extending ourselves? There are people who are not yet Christians, but, but we believe the Lord's working in their heart to make them family. And let's say they become family because we have been sent into the world by Christ to invite them into the family. They become family. Now, the literal translation here from the Greek, there are two places in this. Uh, In verse 21, it says that the world may believe. And the, the literal Greek is literally continually believe or continue to believe. In verse 23, it says that the world may know. And again, the Greek indicates continually know or continue to know. Now, one of the things that Christ sees for the future. One of the visions he has is for people to come in and to stick with us long-term, to have long-term relationships. But you know what? Usually when people come into the church, they get all excited about Jesus, and then they start looking around. It's kind of like Peter walking on the waves. And they start looking around, and they don't like so much what they see. There's two reasons people leave the church. One is they're not connected and the other way is they see hypocrisy, especially in the leadership. Now, what's it going to take for people to continually believe? It's going to take a body of people who are trying to achieve the vision of Jesus and not their own vision. You see, it's nothing new for people to come to church because they want to get what they want. And, and if they can't get it in the world, they'll ask God for it. So I go to church and try to get what I want from God because I can't get it in the world. But what's so holy about that? What's so different about that? I mean, that's that's just the same thing. When I came to Christ, I came to Christ on a high on the campus of a high university in 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 the late 60s, 1968. I'd been in college a couple of years, and I went there. I wasn't a Christian, I was I was a nominal Christian, I thought I was a Christian. But I had heard nothing of a personal relationship with Christ. Nothing that stuck until then. And I, and I, and I wanted to change the world. I wanted the world to be better. And so I went and I, and I just got into the whole student movement thing. This is, If you remember the 60s, it was all about we were rioting for everything. We were demonstrating for everything. I was part of the demonstration. Long hair, beard, you know. And boy, if there was a cause, man, I was out there with a the sign. Because I was sure that the problem with the world was the people who had the power wouldn't give it up. And they were all for themselves. And they just wanted to improve their own status. They wanted to accumulate their own power. And the problem was, if they give us the power, then everything would be okay because we didn't have any power. And so I thought, I'm going to fall in with this student movement because their, their ideals are so pure. Well, I got into the student movement. And man, I went to to all these speeches and so on and so forth. And you know what I began to realize as I heard speech after speech after speech? The speeches of the student movement were just as selfish and just as self-centered and just as power-hungry as anything I'd ever heard from the establishment. It just was from the other end. And I thought to myself, this is dumb. And it's it's, it's when I came to the realization... That selfishness can take any form. It's still selfishness. That the words of my old pastor, Dr. Shoemaker, came back to me. The words that said, nothing will ever go right in this world till you take care of the sin in your heart. And that's when I came to Christ. Now, what do you think when people come in the church? And we're all about, you know, well... Prayed to God for a new house. Prayed to God to heal this. Prayed to God for this. Pray, this, is what, this is what I'm here for. I, and I'm not getting enough fellowship. I'm not doing that. I'm not, I, I need to get my needs met. You know what that resembles? Just exactly what's out there. Just exactly what's out there. I want to get to the place where I can just kind of relax and be fed and be happy and be joyous. Mm-mm. Certainly, there's more joy in following Christ but what is important is achieving the vision of Jesus that's what we're here for we will have more gratification we will have, have more uh, joy as we understand that we extend ourselves for the sake of accumulating the family that God has already made ours any of you do any of you t- just feel like you know there's somebody that ought to be here who isn't here and it'd be more complete if they were. Did you ever have that feeling? Good, good, because that's. I remember when we had we had our first two kids, and I and I and I, uh, um, and, and I was fine because I came from a family of two kids, and and Beck came in one day. We were just, we were just uh, all the Josh and Isaac were there, and kind of playing around, and, and Beck looked at me and said, "How do I feel like somebody's missing?" And I and I counted one two. Now we're all here. He said, no, I I feel like there's a child that's supposed to be part of our family that's not here yet. I said, really? (laughs) I'm happy. (laughs) Well, we had Joel. And I don't know how we lived without that kid. Well, that's how it is with Northland and, and other people they don't have to come here to worship. But we got family out there that we haven't contacted, that we're not with yet, we haven't loved yet, that aren't with us yet in the work. And there's gratification in that kind of extension. Someday, someday, soon. Northland, I believe, will achieve the vision of Christ in the Northland way. This isn't for, any, for every church, although I think a lot of churches could do this. But someday, in order to be both singular and plural at once, this vision of Christ, being one, worshiping together, is really going to come about. There's a group in celebration right now of northern people. All we need is the technology, and we're going to be worshiping together every Sunday. Um, and, and, and they're ready to go. There's a group in Africa that's ready to go. There's a group in India that's ready to go. There's a group, excuse me, in, in Germany. There's a group in, in China. There's a, there, all we have to do is access the right kind of relational thing in order to bring us together. And we can have family that worships and to be stretched into the kind of people that really have achieved The goal of Christ. Think of it like this. All your life you've been praying to Jesus to answer your prayers. How would it be if you were the answer to his prayer? Pray with me. God help us. Help us to be the answer to the prayer of Jesus. Who yearned that the church would be extended and that we would be one on the basis of a unity that is so mysterious and so Godlike, not organizationally, but spiritually, and that we would communicate as intimately as, as we can at Dog Track Road. Help us, Lord God, to avoid the temptation of just wanting to set in our own little tent when we come in here or to make Northland a little tent among all the churches. Help us, Lord God, to extend to those people that Jesus sees being a part of his family and to worship with them or, or, or at least some of them so that we can be the image of the kind of worship that's going to happen in heaven when every tribe and every nation and every tongue under heaven will worship you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.